right, well, welcome back to our weekly chat where we talk to the leaders in sports, business and entertainment. And I've finally settled on a name, Boz, that you'd be quite happy with. And there is a little bit of a story behind it. It's called Fork in the Road. We've even got a logo. Have a look at that. <laughs> so it's all about the oh, fork well, in the road. Yeah, yeah thank you very much for having me on the show, Corey. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. No, no, we've, we've really enjoyed, uh, as I said, talking to the leaders in sports, business and entertainment. And what better than, you know, when talking to someone like yourself, played for Aston Villa, uh, played for my beloved Manchester United, played for uh, Chelsea, played for Australia, even kicked a goal for Australia, And by the way. <laughs> so there's not many people that can yeah. say that and kills it on Fox Sports. So, mate, how have you been dealing with the pandemic and... Uh, the isolation, how have you been dealing with it? you got a not a bad view in the background with uh, Woolamaloo in the background. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And thank you very much for the introduction. It was very, very, very kind of you. Um, look, so far, so good with the lockdown. Um, uh, obviously, here in New South Wales, things have loosened up, in the, especially in the last two or three weeks. Um, the government's done a fantastic job all over, in my opinion, especially here. So the kids have, uh, I've got two kids, one is eight, one is three. The eight-year-old's been back to school for, for two weeks. And the three-year-old started to go back last week um, to, to daycare just for two days a week. Uh, and other than that, um, like I said, touch wood, everything has been okay. Uh, settled into a routine uh, very, very early on. Um, I've got a wonderful fiancé who, uh, who keeps me in check. And, uh, and also, um, as, as, you probably, well, as you know and as a lot of people know, um, I've been doing, normally we do during the season match day Saturday, but I've been doing chat day Saturday where I've been getting a lot of special guests on um, from around the world, ex-teammates um, and managers. And, and I've got a very special guest as well this week who's an ex-president of one of the biggest clubs uh, in, in football. And, uh, and, and that's kept me very, very busy because I've been doing things like this, like we're doing the view. Uh, and also... Um, Bearing in mind the A-League will be starting uh, within a month's time, I've started to incorporate things from the local game. So we've been having theme days. One theme day was about managers, where we got Sydney FC's manager, Stephen Corica, and Western United's manager, Mark Rudin. Um, we've also had uh, the Women's World Cup joint pick for 2023. We had James Johnson and Sarah Walsh. Sarah Walsh is an ex-Matilda legend. Uh, James Johnson is obviously the CEO of Australian football of the FFA. And also we've had an agent day. Um, uh, so we've had part one with Paddy Dominguez and Arthur Milovic, part two this week with Lou Sticker and John Gamore will be on before the other interview. And we plan to have a, a few more of those type of things, uh, Corey, very, very similar to, to what we're doing. But I just want people, um, not only just football people, but just people out in Australia just to realise the amount of, I mean, everyone has this sort of catchword about stakeholders, but the amount of people that, that it's so important to, and you know that from the AFL days, it's, it's, you know, the players, of course, are, are, are right up there. The fans are, are up there. And that's another theme day I'd like to have is with the fans because we hear so many opinions from everyone. Um, but really the most important thing, in my opinion, is always to hear from the fans because, um, you know, they make the, the game tick. And we've seen that so much in isolation and with leagues coming back all around the world that, it's great to have leagues back. We know that, but without the fans, um, the sport is, is half is half what it what it normally is. I didn't have this as a question, Boz, but now that you've actually rattled off like all the things that you're actually working on and promoting the game so great in Australia, in a way, you've nearly become like the next Johnny Warren. You've nearly taken the torch and 
And it is, it's fantastic, mate. Yeah. We're hearing all these great stories and it's, it's fantastic what you're doing for the game. Thank you so much. I, I must say, uh, that's a wonderful compliment, but there's only one Johnny Warren and there'll only ever be one Johnny Warren. But right. um, yeah. look, I'm just doing, doing, doing my best because I'm very, very fortunate uh, during lockdown to still have this forum. Um, you know, I did the Matt Sherbington show as well on a Monday night and I just thought it's important because, um, like I said, during lockdown, people are always, you know, we're looking for things and we saw the rugby league started at the end of May. We've seen the AFL start uh, like four or five days ago. Um, you know, rugby union will, will be up and running soon and football was interrupted as well. And even though we were the last um, to finish, there's still a good portion in terms of the last final games and the final series to go. So I just thought it was important that, like I said, then it's a good opportunity for people to hear from all these things. Everyone's got their own point of view of where they come from. And in the future, like I said, up until the start, I'd like to get as well club CEOs, um, club chairmen, if they're willing to come on. Um, and I think that's important because uh, I don't know about you, Corey, but like I said, you know, as you know, when you play, you just concentrate on yourself and, and rightly so and making sure everything's okay. But it's slowly but surely as you go throughout your career, you realise that it, it takes so much uh, effort and so many people um, to, to make up uh, for that sport to be what it is, um, you know, on a Saturday or whatever it is. Yep. And what what are the things that you've taken out of out of all the people that you've interviewed? What are the things that you've actually uh, learnt yourself by, you know, I mean, hearing from so many different people? Well, I've, I've had a variety of people. Um, Dwight York's been on. Um, uh, uh, Robbie Fowler's been on. Uh, Gus Poyet, Sven Goran Eriksson, um, Ali McCoyce, uh Peter Schmeichel, um, you know, who was a great inspiration and hero of mine when I was growing up yeah. um, and that's when it's a special guest and uh, you know the one thing that sort of you know come true with everything is, is number one uh, you know the amount of hard work they all put in um, to what they did and what made them successful I think that's a very very important thing for anyone to realize yeah and the other thing is is I would say that the humility that they all show um, the willingness still to learn even though all of them have achieved magnificent things. Um, and also the, the different perspectives in terms of, you know, because what I do is I just zero in on three topics. And uh, and I, I, re I mean, when I say I really zero in, so say for example, as you, Corey, I say, right, your time, you know, here at, you know, wherever it may be, this specific game, how important was it, you know, and, and you know, all of them. I mean, even, you know, Sven-Goran Eriksson, uh, you know, spoke about when he was Lazio manager and, you know, how the year before they just missed out on the title and, you know, it was heartbreaking. And then the following year, the same situation arose. Yeah. And, you know, he was, you know, saying, yeah, we had, you know, everyone has fear, you know, you get butterflies and all that, but, you know, we just went out and done exactly the same thing. Peter Schmeichel the same. And I mean, I know how much we love Manchester United. Um, and, you know, I, I spoke about some pivotal games during that treble season. And, uh, you know, especially the one against Arsenal in the FA Cup replay. Yeah. And uh, and I said I thought that was one of the keys, and you know he spoke about it, and and Dwight York, you know the same, Alan McCoyce, what the same, Gus Poye, Robbie, all of them. Those there are these specific types of uh, moments in games where they just ploughed on. Um, and a lot of those times, those games and the situations weren't looking the best. Um, I mean, Lazio, funny enough, you know, Sven was saying they had to win their last game and hope for a good result 
from Juventus. So it was in Juventus' hands. And he said, ironically, where Juventus were playing against Perugia on that last game, their game had been postponed by 80 minutes. So he said, we'd finished the game, and because of rain uh, in Perugia, Juventus' game had been postponed, so we all went to the TV. And he goes, you know, lo and behold, you know, Juventus got beat by Perugia, who no one, in, you know, no one but no one you know, had, had given Perugia any chance. But it just goes to show that regardless of the situation, and I think that goes very well, you just, you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going, and things will turn around if you keep doing the right things. Yeah. And then, look, going, going way back when, we haven't got the benefit of the internet now and the technology and social media, but how the hell did Manchester United discover a kid from Sydney, only a 15-year-old kid, <laughs> and say, listen, we want you to come and trial with Man United? Because even I think back to that time, now our only way of finding out about the Premier League was obviously the weekly show or um, there might have even been the um, the soccer magazine, like the soccer paper, whatever. It was like that British Weekly, I think it was. Yeah. So we didn't really get to find out. And obviously the talent here probably didn't get exposed. So how the hell did they find out about Mark Bosnich? Well, I was very, very fortunate. Um, there was a chap that here in Australia who used to run uh, a lot of stuff in New South Wales football called Alan Best. And, uh, and funny enough, he was very good friends uh, with the then youth team manager, um, Malcolm Cook at Liverpool, would you believe? Um, so in 1987, we'd gone on a family holiday um, uh, to Croatia, uh, what was then 1987, it was called Yugoslavia. And at the end of that holiday, um, I just got one sister, so my father and my mother and I and my sister had gone to, to London, England, and Alan Vest had arranged a three-day trial with, uh, with Liverpool. So my dad and I went on a bus one early morning um, from, from London. Uh, it was only spring, but I was like, wow, it's still cold, yeah? <laughs> and we'd gone, to do, gone, up, gone up north at Liverpool for three days. And we did uh, three days of, of, you know, of, of trialing and sort of everything I touched went to gold. And to Kennedy Aglish at the time was the manager. And he said, well, you know, would you stay? Uh, and my dad said, look, let him finish school. Because back then, as you know, back in 1987, you had the year 10. Yeah. Then you had, if you wanted to stay on, you could go to year 11, year 12 and do your HSC. And my dad said, he's only got two months left of year 10. So let him go home, finish school, and he can come back at the start of the next season, which would be the 1988 season. Um, and in that interim period, so that was September 1987, um, the late Eddie Thompson, um, who was Australian manager, he managed several clubs over here, he knew Sir Alex Ferguson very well. Um, they not only played together, I think that actually either gone to school together, they knew each other very well. So he heard about the story. He rang up Sir Alex. Sir Alex got me over in March. Um, I spent two weeks in Manchester. And there was always that thing about the work permit at that time. And basically at the end of it, he locked me in his room and said, look, you're signing for us. So um, I, I thought he was, you know, he, he was sort of much more confident about getting the work permit and much more determined. So uh, July, 1988, I started my my experience at, at Manchester United. Um, it seems like yesterday, but, uh, but it wasn't. And what's it like? I, I think we all know about the end result that happened some 30 years later and the, and yeah. the trophies that ensued for, for Man United. But as a, as a 15, 16-year-old kid, how intimidating yeah. to, to basically meet Sir Alex? Or is it nearly the opposite? Because he was so good with the... Um, you know, I mean, with the youth teams, it seems like he did take a real keen interest in developing that youth as by Beckham, Skulls, well, and these guys come through. Well, 
Well, you know, as you know uh, from being a Manchester United supporter, they've, they've had a wonderful they had a wonderful tradition even before that of uh, promoting their young players. Um, the late Sir Matt Busby, um, you know, who was the last man before Sir Alex to win the European Cup way back in 1968, had mm. that famous famous side, and um, you know, they, they nicknamed the, the Busby Babe. So many good young players until it was decimated um, by that um, horrible uh, plane crash in Munich. Um, and uh, and Sir Alex really wanted to revive a lot of these traditions, um, and one of them mainly being um, the promotion of youth players. Apparently, at the time when he first arrived, you know, he he, uh, he obviously got his coaching staff in and all the scouts and everyone, and said, look, listen, I don't want just the best youngsters from the Greater Manchester area. I don't want just the best youngsters from England. I want the best youngsters from around the world. So this was a, a thing that he laid down in terms of, you know, just like a, a farmer would lay down seeds for, for 18 months' time for, for his crop to grow. And it proved wonderfully successful. Um, I, I was fortunate to benefit from it. Um, I mean, Manchester United benefited so much with the class of 1992, um, who, were, who were a couple of years below me. Uh, but then all of a sudden, like I said, during that time when I was first there from 88 to 91, you saw youngsters come from everywhere, from Sweden, um, from Bermuda, um, from from all around the country and from all around the world, and and it was a, it was a really exciting time for myself, and also um, in terms of you know yeah being you, you spoke about you know we used to sort of uh, you know keep up the day over here with um, match of the day if you remember mm. ABC and I'd be on Friday night or Saturday everyone used to usually watch on a Friday night or, or Saturday lunchtime, and to see all those players that you watch on TV up close that that was. Uh, I wouldn't say intimidating, but it was a bit freaky, you know. And uh, th- but that was great. And all of a sudden, you're sort of thinking, well, you know, look, look how things can happen. You know, if you do the right things, you're watching somebody on TV. Now all of a sudden, you're you're face to face with them um, in the same dressing room. What would you give advice for anyone? Because that's nearly like the extreme. I know I had to do it when you're you're playing AFL football. But what advice do you give anyone out there, even from a work point of view or a general life point of view, that all of a sudden? you're thrust into this situation that you'd never thought you'd be capable of, but in the end, you, you've just got to find a way. So obviously it's the extreme when you go to like Manchester United, you're seeing all the guys that you idolised as a kid. So how did you yeah. put that to the side and say, right, I've actually got a job to do here? Uh, would you, it, for me, it was like, it, it was exactly what you said. It's great. And you always, always, you know, sorry, I just put this a bit. Yeah. Uh, always be, you know, off the field or, or out of work. You always be humble. You always be nice to everybody. You treat people how you expect to be treated back. That, that's without going. But then once you go out, do your work, whatever that may be, you focus on what you do. And and to understand as well that, you know, there, there will be times when things don't go particularly well. You know, so if I think back to them, I think, well, maybe at those certain moments when I was speaking about before, maybe if I didn't perform as well, you know, would have turned out different. And you think to yourself, well, it would have if you just maybe stopped or, you know, if you made a mistake and you, you just keep going. And if you really set your mind to something, if you really, really focus in on your mindset, so, on, you know, so let's take it from an AFL perspective. Well, you know what? Today I am going to score six goals. All right? I'm really going to focus my mind in on scoring six goals. Okay? Now, that day, you might not get the six goals, but I guarantee you, you'll score three or four minimum. Yeah? And, and it's very, very underestimated. We always talk about measurement of fitness. You know, we, we see, especially now with strength and conditioning and all that coming in, people can measure your VO2 max. Um, they can measure your 40-minute minute sprint speed. They can measure, um, 
you know, your upper body strength, maybe, you know, the amount of bench presses you can do, uh, you know, pull-ups and that. But it's very, very difficult to measure the mind. And the mind is really the most important thing. That will that will slowly but surely come into play. I'm, I'm quite confident of that, especially with what we've seen with everything else. And do you think, like, how, and I know you've touched on it, but is that what you would say is what re- really what separates the average players from the really good players is, is really that mindset and probably that self-belief? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, look, the self-belief is something that grows and it's not something that's, you know, entirely natural um, because a lot of people, like I said, you know, they, they like to see results for themselves before they start believing. And then also you've got, you know, other people around, you know, as you know, in the team scenario, if they think somebody's a little bit too cocky, they might turn around and go calm down a little bit. And that can also, also blow up in your face sometimes. So that self-belief comes from within. I mean, I had a system manager once, uh, Jim Barron at Aston Villa, he used to always say to me, you know, confident, not casual, because there is a fine line between all of those. You know, sometimes you can be too confident and it leads into complacency and then you can get punished. Um, but I think the most important thing out of that is that, like I said, that will come, that self-belief, but that hunger and that determination to zero in, um, I, I think is, like I said to you, that, that's invaluable. Um, that is that is really, and you talk about what separates, there's, there's, I, I would say there's a, there's a lot of very, very good players. You're talking about the best of the best. So you talk about arguably, you know, one of the greatest sporting competitions in the world. So you're talking about the best of the best from not just a few countries, but from all around the world. So they're all very good. But then there's the ones who are very, very good. You know, and I think, like I said to you, and you see it day in, day out. You see a lot of players who are who are very equal with their physical side attributes, even with the skill attributes. But then you think to yourself, well, then what's separating those you know, the, the, the best of the best. And the only thing you can say is up here. Yeah. And then, look, in your wildest dreams, when you're a young kid from Australia and you can you can visualise a hell of a lot of things, but winning those league... How many... You won two league cups, was it, with Aston Villa? Two league cups, yeah. Yeah, well, when I, when I came back then in 1992, it was right at the beginning to Aston Villa. And ironically, the manager who brought me back was Ron Atkinson, who was obviously the manager at Manchester United before Sir Alex Ferguson. You think, he, you think he did that on purpose, Boz, just to nah, stick it up to Alex a little I don't bit? Think so. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think, like I said, at that time, he just needed a goalkeeper and he'd seen me perform quite a few times uh, for Manchester United Reserves. Um, and there was one specific game he, he reminded me of when we played against Sheffield Wednesday when he was manager at Sheffield Wednesday and I was at Manchester United. See, and this is another thing I always say to, to youngsters, you know, always think that somebody is watching and somebody is listening. And that's the best way to go about everything. And um, had a wonderful seven years. And, and to win those two league cups was a dream come true for me because one of the original inspirations for me, uh, we talked about match of the day and so forth. But as you know, here in Australia, I mean, maybe it's not as big as it was back then, but, you know, every uh, every May on, on a cold evening in May, we'd all stay up for the FA Cup final. And it would be around, I think at that time, it's around what? It's usually 12 o'clock at night, midnight around there. Yeah, 12 o'clock. Yeah, yeah something, something like that. And, of course, Craig Johnson, um, you know, a, a number of Australian, winning the double for Liverpool way back in 85, 86 and scoring a goal and seeing him walk around with the cup at Wembley, that really triggered off in my mind that exactly what I wanted to do. And to do that, you know, with the League Cup, okay, it wasn't the FA Cup, it was the League Cup. And 1994, and especially against Manchester United, it was very, very special indeed. Um, and Manchester United were actually going for another treble that year. Um, mm-hmm. And they ended up winning the FA Cup and against Chelsea and they won the league uh, and deservedly so. And, and uh, the League Cup uh, uh, 
we we won that Aston Villa. So that was a really great day. It was a a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, and you know, Corey, from your experience of AFL, you know, there are certain things that happen during your career that no one can take away from you. And I wish I could press a button now and do that walk back around Wembley because there's no better feeling when that referee blows that final whistle and you go and obviously congratulate the opposition. Um, and you, you know, you always try to win with win with dignity. Um, I think it's uh, very, very important that uh, that that basically. Sorry, somebody called again. Once then, that basically, um, that basically, you save those moments because um, they're, they're few and far between. You know, I, um, you know, I used to always. I mean, you, you know yourself. I, I, as I'm, I'm trying to give up. I'll say it to everybody, but I enjoy my cigars, not the big ones, just the small ones. But I used to always, the people used to always ask me, "What? Don't you smoke the big ones?" I said, "Only when I win a major trophy." Well, I, I was only able to smoke four during my whole career, which is probably better for my health. <laughs> <laughs> probably way better for health. And, and is, it, is it a realisation moment when that final whistle goes at Wembley that in your head, I know, I did notice, Boz, that you were very quick. Yeah. You were right up behind the captain. You were, you were going to make sure that you were, you were second in line I, to be in the photo. <laughs> that's, well, yeah, that, a lot of people say that, but in, in football generally, you see when people walk out as well, and that's, People have got certain superstitions, but in football generally, the captain always goes up first, and then it's the goalkeeper, yeah. and then it should be the, you know, then it should go numerically. But I'd always go behind uh, the captain because I was the goalkeeper. That's all. Uh, there are others, um, you know, who would like to go last. Um, you know, there, there was there was one for that, but if you you just see generally it's exactly the same um, as when you walk out of the tunnel as well. You know, like you know, usually it's the goalkeeper that's second. So when you walk out the tunnel at Wembley, the two managers lead you off. Um, yeah. So that day, obviously, on one side, there was Sir Alex. On the other side, was Ron Atkinson. Uh, then the two captains. Um, uh, I know Kevin Richardson was our captain that day uh, for Manchester United. I'm trying to think who would have been captain that day. I think it would have been Steve Bruce. Uh, Steve Bruce, I think. I'm, I'm quite certain. And then, um, then, funny enough, you know, like, Finnish Michael was suspended for that day. He'd been sent off two weeks earlier um, at Ch- against Charlton. So it was Les Healy, um, who unfortunately passed away. And it was me. And... The ironic thing again is that during my first spell at Manchester United between 88 and 91, Les Sealy had come on loan and famously played in that FA Cup replay against Crystal Palace. And it was a great help to me at the time. So again, it was one of those moments you think, well, here's somebody who I was training with, um, you know, three or four years ago and got on like a house on fire with. And now I'm walking out alongside of him uh, at Wembley. So that was a bit, you've got, that's when you've got to sort of steady yourself and say, okay, all right, uh, Play the game, not the occasion, and then you can, you know, you can have a chat and think about all these things afterwards. Because you can imagine, if you're thinking about that for the first 15 minutes, especially in a position like a goalkeeper, um, you can make a mistake that will stay with you for the rest of your life, just like a, uh, just like success does. Yeah, 100%. Now, um, the pressure of playing with the, in the Premier League, I've always wondered, like, and especially when you're in goal, and as you said, you know, I mean, one mistake yeah. that can nearly define your career. How did you? Cope back then. What was your way of getting away from it, or what was your routine away from football? And the second part is now that you know what you know now, how would you better cope? Um, I cope absolutely fine. I don't mean that in a way that people told that. Of course, you feel the pressure. There's no doubt about that. And yeah. I mean, that, you know, the, fa- the famous, um, uh, the late Castamano, uh, famous trainer of Floyd Patterson and Mike Tyson. Um, you know, he used to always recite that story about, you know, the, the only difference between the coward and the hero is that they both feel the same thing. 
mm. uh, is what the is what the hero does and what the cow doesn't do during that time. So we all feel the same way. Of course, you get butterflies. Um, for me personally, I used to try to work that you know work that for me um, and use that as a a sort of a, a, an imaginary stick to say, well, you know, this is pressure to, to you know take yourself to a different level. Yeah. Um, in terms of coping off the pitch and getting away from it, I mean, like I said, you know, and it was really drummed into me and, uh, by that famous team manager at Manchester United when I was a kid, the late Eric Harrison, who was absolutely fantastic. I learned so much as well that, you know, he was from the north of England and, um, you know, obviously in the north of England, especially post-Second World War, there was some really hard times for the people, um, you know. And, you know, he used to always say pressure, pressure is when you've got three children um, and you have to support them and you work down a mine and all of a sudden, you know, the head of the mining company says there's no more work for you. That's real pressure. So you always kept that in the back of the mind to say how lucky you, this is how lucky you are. Of course, there is, like I said, the pressure because you, especially as a goalkeeper, at any point, you don't want to make a mistake. And you should see that probably like you did before games, people should deal with pressure in different ways. And some people were actually physically sick um, as a physical reaction to the nerves before the game. So you, you saw yeah. that in all types of ways. Um, but just like everything, you, you try to get used to it. Um, you know, the first five to ten games in front of so many people, you, you have that, there's a little bit extra, but slowly but surely you just go into a weight. And in terms of coping off the pitch, I wouldn't do anything different at all. I mean, for a regular week, you normally play three games a week anyway. Um, and I love what I did. So, you know, I, um, you know, occasionally I may, you know, may have went to play golf in Dwight York or um, even though I'm not a good golfer, and I probably after nine holes I'd end up being the caddy anyway because I, I'd run out of ball. Um, or uh, for, for me, you know, just uh, having a day off was a, that was a you know good thing for me because I didn't like to have too many days off. So I used to like to make them very very special, even if I just went in to get a massage or just to do a little jog around the park or see how everything is. Um, because I you know, I still do to an extent, but I live eat and breathe football. I, I truly loved it. So and I truly felt I was blessed from God and very lucky to do what I did. And I never wanted to, to take it for granted, ever. Um, because I always believe if you take things for granted long enough, it will be taken away from you. And then what about for is it a, for Australia? Is it a, a bit of a regret that you you probably... I know that I read a bit of a quote that you said you, you may have regretted playing too much club football or putting club football first ahead of Australia or... Would you? Yeah. Where did you see it? I, I never regretted putting club football first because that was my bread and butter. Um, no. And as it was explained uh, quite clearly to me by every manager I had, um, by every club that I had, we are the ones who pay your wages. So that was completely understandable. And I can understand because, you know, they're paying you big money to perform. Um, I said to you before, it's not average play. You're talking about the, the average over there is very good. Then it's the best, then it's the best of the best. So there's no average players or whatever. It really is not. You know, you've, got, you've got a choice from all around the world. And as they made it plain and simple to me, you know, if you lose your place, um, you know, to, to go and play, if it's a non-World Cup qualifier, if it's a World Cup qualifier, generally they're very good. But the biggest thing for me, um, what, what, uh, not a regret, but it was a little bit, you know, looking back now, is that there was no international calendar back then. So, i.e., so now when it's an international game, the whole world pretty much stopped. Yeah. I know, for, I know um, the A-League did that last year here in Australia, but then the years before they kept playing on. But pretty much the whole world stopped. So you can go and play for your national team. Well, back then, um, you know, that, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, a great example was the start of uh, the 1993-94 season. Um, Australia had a, a World Cup qualifier against Canada. 
on the same day as the opening start, uh, opening day of the Premier League. So, I, I mean, that was just, you know, and I tried my everything to do a compromise to say, look, can I just play the second leg? You've got other good goalkeepers. No disrespect to Canada. I said, look, you know, you should be okay against Canada. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be fine for the second leg because that was an international break. Um, and then there was a stubbornness from the other side. And then I, when I saw them being stubborn, I thought I'd be stubborn. And then I ended up getting banned because they didn't come down. So, um, like I said, that, that the only the only real regret is that at that time that there wasn't just an international break. It would have been easy then. You're like, okay, you, you know, you 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 play on a on a Saturday or Sunday like that. Like there were certain times, but it wasn't it wasn't uniform. And it was like everyone, you know, says see you later and we'll see you next week, you know. And, you go off to wherever you go off um, and play a game, and, uh, and and then you come back. And obviously, it's much easier. You know, let's, let's say the situation is reversed. Just say the Premier League was here in Australia, and just say Western Australia, South Australia, Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales weren't state-style countries, and uh, and all those countries played their league, and and at the end of uh, you know at the end of a, a month, those countries. So Western Australia played against Victoria in the qualifiers for the next World Cup. So it's only four hours. So that's, that's the same situation for Europe. So the vast majority of boys, especially back then, were all from Europe. It's changing. It's starting to change a little bit now. So, you know, if you played for France, for example, and, you know, you had a European qualifier that week against even Luxembourg in Paris, it was only an hour. Like Sydney to Melbourne, you know? And yeah. you're back. A little bit different for us, but still it would have made a huge difference that there was no uh, no, no conflict of... Um, of, uh, of you know, games playing at the same time. But I guess that's a tribute as well um, to the fact that a lot of players from all around the world, you know, we've seen Parchi Song, um, we've seen some great players, you know, Okazaki from Japan, Shinji Kagawa, you know, from players from downhill, like, down here, like Harry Kuehl, Mark Luke. So that's a tribute, I think, to all those players, so many great African players from South America, from everywhere, America, that all those players have come to the fore and have come to the Premier League and and then obviously you know FIFA through UEFA have, have realised that you know we, we can't keep doing this and this is this is wrong because these players have worked so hard and what just because they go and be successful and play for their country that they're being punished so so kudos to FIFA for doing that. Yeah, exactly right. Now heading back to Manchester United, you wouldn't have got to see. You're nearly the ideal person to talk to because when you first went there in '89, at that point. Yeah. Man United had won pretty much nothing, and then by the time you go back there in 1999, did you? What was the the difference in the place that you're able to see from a culture and an environment point of view that you went? You know what? This is why this place was successful for the last ten years. Yeah, I I don't think there was a a, a great difference. Um, I just think that all those roots that I told you before about those seeds that Sir Alex had planted all those years ago had now started to grow and to grow, and there were ones coming up against it. So I saw it when I first went there, because you know, he was installing that culture, especially the young boys. Yeah. yeah. It was now pretty much the finished product. So it was everything that you thought it would be. Um, and obviously success gives you um, a different outlook on things. Um, he, he used to always recite the story about, you know, isn't it great when you're on top of the mountain and you can see how clear and how still everything is, and I'd rather stay here than, than be back down there. So that's completely... Um, you know, understandable. Um, something just come up, Corey. Corey, something for me. I don't know. I don't know that one. I was trying to say yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> no, it said okay. No, it said, I said, Corey, it said, Corey said okay. So, I, I said, anyway, so, um, 
it was great. It was also great to see those young boys who I remember as young boys, you know, who just come off the back of winning um, yeah, one of the greatest club competitions in the world, the European Cup, in such dramatic fashion. So it was great. It was really good. It was a real eye-opener to me that, you know, if you ever wanted to be a manager or, or, or of anything, of anything at all, that, that you know, to, to lay down those seeds um, and, and to, to keep watering them and to nourish them, what obviously Sir Alex did, is so, so important to long-term success, you know, because, you know, 1988 and I come back in, you know, like 11 years later and you see, you know, obviously things take time, um, but you just see and it was just a completely different feeling about the place um, because, you know, when I was first there, like I said, it was still, it was still quite difficult. There were some difficult times and there wasn't that, that um, aura that it was there back in 99. Back in 99, when I, when I went back, there was like, every game you went out, it was like, if you felt like you, it was going to win, uh, even though I wasn't playing in 88 to 91, I played three games here, the game, but there was always that feeling that, you know, oh, we could get beat here today or this, that, the other, that feeling having completely dissipated. But it, it was, you know, because the game of football was always, you know, anything could happen. But um, the opposite feeling, so the opposite part of the graph of going like that in terms of, uh, you know, feeling so they're going to win every game, that was truly there. It was truly there. And it was great to see. It was great to see with your own eyes, especially after sort of being there pretty much what, what was the beginning. And, and Boz, it's not too far away. It's, uh, it's, it's back on this week. It won't be in front of fans and it won't be in front of crowds and... Unfortunately, the team on top is, is going to win the title for the first time in 30 years. But <laughs> what about um, this? We've got Spurs and Man United on Friday morning. How it's, yeah. uh, I suppose the Spurs team, it's allowed them to recoup and get a lot of their players back. Yeah. And probably on the flip side, um, even with Man United getting Pogba back and maybe that yeah. partnership with um, Bruno Fernandes. I think that's going to be a fantastic partnership. Now, I was asked about this on, on Sky Sports News uh, UK, ironically, exactly sort of what you asked. Yeah. And um, I know I know that it's been a very divisive subject, but I'm actually on the side of keeping Pogba. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. Number one, I think he's one of the best players in the world. Okay. And a lot of people say, yeah, but he doesn't do that enough. Okay. Okay. Everyone always strives to be consistent. But um, the, the bottom line is when he does do it, um, and that is attainable. He's one of the best players in the world. And, you know, he's obviously had a lot of non-stop football. He had this injury. He's going to come back from this injury. And the, the, the other thing as well, if you're on the other side to, to what I am, if you're on the camp of like, uh, you know, I think we should get rid of him. Well, I'll, I'll ask you this question. For who? And for how much? You know, it's, it's you're talking about the most expensive player in the world. And you're talking mm. about somebody who, um, like I said, if you're going to get rid of, you know, you've got to replace him. And just say you replace him with someone who you think will be better. It's still going to take you time. And as we know for it, you know, and, you know being Manchester United supporters, it, you know, time is not of the essence, so to speak. It's been, a, it's been a long time since that feeling I just spoke about under Sir Alex has been around the club. I believe Ali Gunnar will get back to that, that position. Um, but in these days, in, as you know, you've got kids, I've got kids, Time and patience is not really a, a, a thing that's uh, that's in great supply, is it? So, no. um, you know, I, I think that him and coupled with Fernandes, I think was a great signing. Them two playing together, yeah. I mean, you, you're talking about if they start, you know, getting a partnership. You know, ironically, in terms of my match day Saturday, I'm going to be speaking to someone about giving anyone away who also was in charge of arguably the two best midfielders in the world. 
very, very recently. And to get that chemistry together is not easy. But once it does, um, I mean, the results will be staggering, I'm telling you now. But coming back to the Premier League restate, so I think these early games are going to be vital. Um, even, say, for, for another club I support at the moment, Aston Villa playing against Sheffield United, that's their catch-up game. I mm. think it's going to be vital to getting off to a good start. Now, Tottenham and Manchester United, Manchester United are on the break right before the break. I think it's, I think it's vital that both teams get off to a good start. And I know there will be no fans in the stadium, but boy, will there be fans watching around the world. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great that we're actually getting sport back. And, and Ange, my producer now, I'm actually... This could go anyway, Boz, because I've got Paige. I know she's a very passionate Leeds United fan. Now, Ange, how are yeah. we going, mate? Is that better? Yeah, I can hear you now, Paige. We're Fantastic. good. Gee, two Man United fans. That's a bit awkward for me, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. I might have to have a bath after this. Um, <laughs> Look, uh, lots of talk around what's happening, uh, particularly at the bottom of the table. Is a huge logjam of teams there sort of trying to claw their way out of the drop zone. And then, you know, conversely, in the, in the championship, there's, there's two, three, four, five, six teams all, all vying for that promotion. How do you see that playing out, particularly at the bottom of the table in the PL? Well, it's a very good question. I... I, I... First and foremost, to make you happy, I know you have a big smile thing. I believe Leeds and West Brom will get promoted. So there you go. So uh, Leeds, uh, both both clubs, in my opinion, belong in the Premier League, especially Leeds. And 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 uh, it, it, like I said, we had some great battles. Not only Aston Villa, but Manchester United. They're a great club, great great tradition. They deserve to be. The third place will be up for grabs, like it always is. It's a playoff scenario. It's something that we're familiar with here in Australia. Um, and, and they're not as familiar with over there. But what it, what it does is, as we know over here, with our playoff systems for all our sports, on the day, anything can happen. You know, you can have a team that's been so much better than someone throughout the whole year, but all of a sudden on that day, something can happen. Bottom of the Premier League, I think, look, Norwich will find it very difficult to stay up. Um, obviously, Watford. Um, but then there's another massive logjam. And this is why I said it's very, very important. I mean, one of my old clubs that I do love to stay up is Aston Villa. Uh, they're down there at the moment, but they have, they have got a game in hand, and that's the opening game against Sheffield United. So I think it's very important that they, if I think that they can win that, that, they should be okay. But you have to say there's teams going all the way up, maybe even to Brighton, um, who are all uh, in the mix there, and they've got to be very, very careful. So the other little, uh, you could say, um, wild card thrown in because of this is because the amount of games in such a short period. That's going to be very interesting. You tend to think that the teams with bigger squads would be better off because they'll be able to, um, you know, swap their players and rotate them uh, without as much disruption as other teams. But you never quite know, you know. Um, but, there's, there's, you know, you are going to have to use the squad because I, I spoke to Corey before during the interview about, you know, about playing three times a week. Well, sometimes that could be playing four times a week. So it's, everyone's going to have to be ready. Um, and also, like I said, the other wild card, Corey mentioned before, no fans. That's going to be very interesting. We've seen in the Bundesliga already a lot of uh, way results that we wouldn't see normally, and that's obviously because of home advantage. Home advantage really means when you've got those people behind you because it is a massive influence. So that's how I see But you can be rest assured Leeds uh, uh, will be promoted to the Premier League. That's music to my ears. <laughs> well, I know that it puts a very big smile on Paige's face. I do follow her on social media, and she is a very, very passionate Leeds United fan. So yeah, it's a little make yeah. up, Paige. But thanks for the question, Paige. Appreciate very much it. appreciate it.
We've got two to go, Bozza. Final two. That's all right. You know, the one we've been building to, as I alluded to at the start. We'll go to the fork in the road. Go to the fork (laughs) in the road question. So where is the fork in the road moment for Mark Bosnich? Where was it that you could have gone either way? So positive or or hopefully, I mean, it's turned into a positive story that you've you've gone the right way. Oh, look, listen, um, I've had forks in the road regularly. I have them still. Um, and that's not from a personal perspective, but I think that's just from, in general in life. I think every day you have little forks in the road. I think it just really comes back that, to your being. Yeah. Um, by nature, um, you know, as you, as you know, you know me quite well. You know I'm a good person, but you also know that I will fight my corner. And unfortunately, I was presented with a situation uh, when I was at Chelsea where I was left with no choice but to fight my corner. Um, and, and I did. And, uh, and, and, uh, I'm here now talking to you because of that. It's a situation that had nothing to do with football and it's one that I'll elaborate on probably in the future if I feel like that way. But, yeah. um, it was just an unfortunate situation. It was like a, uh, you know, when they say a perfect storm, you know, like when clouds are coming and this is coming and that, that, that was like, it was all, that, that's exactly what it was. But, um, you know, you, you like I said to you before, you, you've got to keep going. And, uh, I was very, very, lucky again um that uh back in 2007 australia had a game in london against nigeria and uh, graham arnold was assistant coach at that time and he sent down a gentleman by the name of phil lansky and john bolte um uh from the ffa delegation and they come and said would you you know considering coming coming back to australia and i said i said what do you want me back there for by the the sounds of things everything's going great i said i've got more luggage than the queen what do you want me back there i know they said they said, come down, come down. I said, okay. So I come down. There was a FIFA conference. As I think it was at that time they were going for the World Cup and this, that, and the other. And Central Coast said, look, our goalkeeper, Danny Vukovic, had been sent off in the grand final. We should come and play six games. And that was, I think, by 2008, I think, then. And I said, all right, I'll come and play six games. And then I come and play six games. And then I was due to go back to America to do a reality TV program. Funny enough, which my mum and dad didn't want me to do. But I said, look, I've given my word, and I've got a visa, I, you know, this, that, and the other. And uh, and just before I went, my cousin, my little cousin in the dentist in Neutral Bay here in Sydney, I went to see him to get my teeth checked and this, that, and the other. And he just come out and said, oh, you're not going to believe this. He goes, but I know you have to leave in three days, but you've got an abscess. You can't go. It's actually dangerous. If you go in a plane, it's actually, you, you know, there could be real problems for you. Mm. So I have to you know, get his replies and sort of uh, profusely apologise to the American TV company. And, um, you know, I, I think that, I'm not sure, I think they paid already half the money, but I gave that back straight away. I said, sorry, and I said, I've got this abscess and it won't be right, and this, that, the other. Anyway, a week later, when I went back to see, he was like, you're not going to believe this, but the abscess is gone. So I was like, So I kind of think, like, that was like mum and dad saying, they didn't really want me to go. And then Fox Sports Australia uh, was so good to me. And... Uh, and they said, you know, we've got the Premier League, would you work on it? I I'd love to. So i um, been working on that ever since. Obviously, Fox Sports lost the Premier League rights a couple of years ago, but I stayed with the A-League and with Fox Sports to walk, work on all sports. And very, very fortunate because, uh, you know, like I said, that's why I thank the Lord every day because, you know, I did something I loved for so long. Um, and then, um, you know, unfortunately, it was taken away from me from circumstances like I said, that were really beyond my control. But now... For the last 12 years, I'm talking about something that I love. So I'm very, very fortunate. That's how I see myself. Yeah, I know. And is, as much as with the greatest respect to Optus, I wouldn't mind getting you and 
the great Robbie Slater <laughs> back together because you sorely missed. I think on behalf of all football fans in Australia, we miss you too on the TV talking about the Premier League. Thank you so much, Gloria. I really appreciate that. And look, um, look, on behalf of me, you know how much I love uh, talking about football and you, you notice I'm calling it football. I'm not calling it soccer. Um, a bit, I don't mind. No... I really don't mind, Gloria. Honestly, I'm not one of those... Uh what do you call them, language warriors? I really don't mind. Yeah, I really don't mind if somebody calls it football or soccer because as we know, uh, down here in Australia, football can mean several codes. Um, and that was the same originally uh, back in the, in, in the UK when they actually coined the term soccer because football meant a lot of codes. So I actually don't mind. It's no problem for me. Yeah, I know. But look, Regardless, it's been brilliant to sit down with you, mate. I know that we could probably end up talking for a couple of hours. We, have, we, we really only touched the surface with Manchester United, and thank God yeah. everything's back to normal this week. Let's hope for a great <laughs> Manchester United win. Uh, a big thank you, mate, for sitting down and taking out the time. Uh, big thanks to... I've, I've got a sponsor that helps pay for this, and they do the production in National Make Good Solutions. Yeah. And the podcast will be available, or if you're watching us on YouTube, you're seeing fine young specimens in Bosner and myself on the screen. But if you want to <laughs> check it out, you check out the podcast, you go to the various platforms and it'll be there. But a big thank you, mate. And as I said, let's hope for a big Man United win and a big finish to the Premier League season. Well, thank you, Corey. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I don't know if anyone heard at the start of this interview, I actually asked Corey, I said, how long is it going to be? He said, oh, probably about 45 minutes. I went, what do you mean 45? I said, half an hour. I said, well, I'm looking at my watch. It's been an hour, and it feels like it's only been five minutes. So thanks to everybody. Thank you, Corey. Thanks to Andrew for producing it and everyone. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and everybody stay safe. Um, and slowly but surely, we'll be back to normal. Take care. Thanks, mate.